This podcast is Entel Enhanced. To see pictures, articles and links of what's being discussed, download the Entel app. Hello, welcome to the Big Scuba Show. Hi, I'm Emma Farrell and I'm here with John Vickers, the Chief Executive of Blue Abyss on the Big Scuba podcast to talk all about the incredible project which is Blue Abyss. So here we are, once again. Hello everybody, welcome to the Big Scuba podcast and this is episode 78. My name is Ian and with me is... Hello, everyone. Hello, and uh, so welcome to uh, the, the Big Scuba, and thank you for downloading this podcast. Yeah, it's nice to have you with us. Yes. Um, so what's coming up? We are talking to the guys from Blue Abyss. They've got a really exciting project and plan for the diving industry in the UK, Yeah, in a, Cornwall. Yeah, an interesting project. Yeah. You've have had some great feedback regarding the post that you had earlier oh, in the week with Dive Computers. Yeah, just about Dive Computer, yeah. and it's been amazing, the response. Yeah. Yes, so thank you, everyone. Uh, I've had an eye infection. Yes. This is really great. Not. Um, a wake-up call. Yeah, and we've hit 100 countries. We have on Lipsing. So, so yeah, how, about, how cool is that? So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. We know who our 100 country was. Yeah. Um, should we just tell everybody about what we actually do, though, before we get started? Yes. We're called the Big Scuba Podcast. Yeah. We are scuba divers. Yeah. You're quite an experienced one. I'm My quite... name's Jamie. <laughs> I'm a new scuba diver. Yeah, you're, you're new to the gang. We are. So we talk to people that are from the scuba diving world, but also from the underwater world or have a connection with the oceans and rivers. Yeah. So to make and build awareness of the underwater world and maybe encourage people to think about scuba diving or yeah. free diving yeah. or yeah. snorkeling. Yeah. We try and tie in a little bit about uh, the diving industry. We try and work with our partners. Uh, we try and bring uh, emphasis to some of the great uh, services and products that are out there. And brands. Talk about them. And uh, if they are, you know, the ones that we mentioned are the ones that we use. Yeah. Yeah. And we've, fair, isn't it? yeah we've had incredible support from a lot of them as well, yeah. so which we're very grateful for. Yeah. We are customers and partners and uh, what do you call it? Believers. We're believers mm. in, in what they do. So uh, if you hear certain names mentioned it is because we we are we, you know we use them we love them and um, we want to tell you guys about you know the products and services which are out there you know and we are fortunate yeah yeah and they promote um obviously sustainable and ethical yeah. um ways so which That's is right. really important so you've done 20 20 odd dives 21 dives, yeah. yes um i've done about 250 and uh, you've been diving since last July, wasn't it? Really? Qualified so, in July 2020. Blimey. Coming up for your year, year anniversary. <laughs> this baby diver will so, be a year uh, old. Yeah. So we better um, get in the water and uh, celebrate that year. And I've been diving for about five years and a uh, dive master for about three. So that's kind of yeah. us, isn't it? Yeah, you've dived in the Red Sea. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and some really great diving in the Red Sea. And hopefully one day we will be back out there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. But we're making the most of UK diving and promoting it while we can. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, hello to our friends in Blue O2. Little reminder. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on sharply. Um, so we've hit 100 countries, which I think is pretty fantastic. Um, I think 
it's okay to say that, you know. Yeah. Um, we, neither of us are professional at this, neither of us you know, <laughs> have done much in this. We we just kind of said, hey, let's do a podcast about thing that we love, and let's scuba dive. And look where we've come. I know. So um, you come from Lurstoff, I come from Bungie, and um, we put in the face for it. That's no, it's not. <laughs> That's <laughs> anyway. So we listened in the world by more than half countries in the world now. Which I think is fantastic. So what a welcome our new friends in Brunei, yeah. which is on the island of Borneo. Borneo, yeah. yeah. Aren't they cannibals? <laughs> no. Well, there's one person there that's interested in scuba diving. I hope he's not a cannibal. <laughs> But anyway, we welcome you we, and thank you for being our friends in Borneo. How about yeah. cool that? Yeah, and maybe drop us a line and say hi. Yeah. I'm, the, I'm not your <laughs> listener in Borneo. I'm your representative in the uh, island of Borneo. Yeah, that'd be great to hear and tell us about, yeah, What's the how you found us. Tell us what the diving's like in Borneo. That'd be really cool. Mm. We all want to know. Yeah. Our so, other listener out there want to know. Yeah. So watch this space. Maybe we'll be 101 next week. That'd be really cool. Uh, uh, yeah, that is. No, seriously, I just think, wow, yeah, it's just amazing, actually, that um, our listener get drowned and you know, yeah. to all these countries. It's just brilliant. So uh, that's really cool. Um, so thank you very much um, for everyone who does um, exactly that. Also, so this week, um, yeah, I, got an, I had an eye infection this week. You did, yes. Yeah, so it's it been a bit, a bit serious. Um, yeah, I think it was some dust or something that, got into my eye and uh, made my right eye quite sore so no contact lenses i dive with contact lenses um you know i'm not the only one there's quite a lot of people out there a quite interesting chat with a doctor actually yeah you've had three visits to the hospital you said to me that um you dive around contact lenses shocked i know and i was like "Mm, yeah yeah he said he gave me a load of paperwork to say you really shouldn't be diving with wearing contact lenses I was like, mm, why not? And he said, well, he said, you know, if you get water in your mask, that's just a haven for bacteria, not mm. the good bacteria that we get on the adverts and stuff. You know, your mask would be, you know, haven for bacteria and that could get in your eye and that could be serious. So, mm, okay. Well, but, you know, diving is a risk. Diving is like a lot of sports. There's a risk. It's a controlled risk. Yeah, I mean, it's like driving with contact lenses or, I don't know, horse actually, riding or, yeah. Actually, what happened was actually from something, nothing diving related. I've never had any issues myself, i got to say, um, from any issues with my eyes from diving. No. Thank, thank so, goodness. But if Touch wood. anybody's got an opinion out there, then let us know. Yeah, that'd be really good. Um, outcome of this is that I now need to buy um, some prescription sunglasses. So mm. for you divers out there... Divers look really cool. With know. the shades on. Yeah, I can think of certain divers who soon, you know, as soon as they're up from the water, they, put actually, the shades on. they actually like to put their shades on. Yeah. <laughs> Not particularly great practice, I have to say, right here and there, because you keep your mask on. But I do know certain divers who do that, who put their shades on as soon as they're up from the water, because they like to look cool. You mean they're carrying the sunglasses? Yeah, in the pocket. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ooh, I've learned something today. So there we go. I won't mention names, but there we go. Um, and probably not best practice, but there we go. That's what we do. Um, anyway, if you are listening, I'm our listener. Uh, I would welcome any feedback for 
your views on what is really good prescription sunglasses. Yeah, you're looking for advice. So, yeah. uh, so watch your views. Also, have you had any hassles scuba diving wearing contact lenses? Mm. That'd be cool. That'd be, be interesting. Be good. That'd be a good post to share. You um, both wear daily yeah. contact lenses, don't yes. we? So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm still allowed to wear, and I shall be all being well diving, continuing to dive wearing contact lenses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've worn contact lenses for about the last, I don't know, I my age, just say five Some years. Some years. Some years. <laughs> a while, anyway, without any hassles at all. So, um, and uh, yeah, it's just yeah, lucky bit of dust got in. Yeah. Uh, so, but it makes you realise and it's highlighted, yeah, the fact that. The doctor does think it's not advisable. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, um, and I will say uh, I'm over it now. I've got yeah, you know, looks okay. <laughs> next couple of weeks, but apart from that, that's it. Yeah, you know, so uh, that's all good. Uh, talking about posts, you had a good post this week. Well, I obviously we've got trip to the Farne Islands booked in late July. Yeah, and I still haven't actually purchased a dive computer. No, well, our good friends at Mara's they. I've got one on loan, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but obviously, I do need one to to call my own. So, I just put a post out there, or we did, to get people's advice. Yeah, and And to be fair, tomorrow, you know, it was just a, uh, it was one, I think it wasn't a new one. Oh, just to try, just to try and see and get on because they knew you you didn't have. Yeah, and you know, they kindly um, gave me a BCD to trial. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was just kind of a little add-on, really. It was, so, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. the post, yeah, performed amazingly, and there were comments straight away as soon as I posted it. There seemed to be a few names that keep cropping up, surprise, surprise. Definitely. Shearwater. Shearwater Peregrine, yeah. The Sunto Eon Core is yeah. another name that keeps cropping up as yeah. a widely yeah. advisable computer to get. Uh, Garmin Descent. Yeah. That's another, another one. one. Yeah. yeah. And Cosmic Plus. Mm, which I haven't heard of, but yeah. So, yeah, so there's a lot lot of information from the comments. People have obviously made um, comments, so yeah. we've got to sift through those and then... Have... There's the power of social media happening right there and then. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, and thank you to everybody that did respond. I've tried to reply to all of them. Yeah. So that was on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Brilliant. No, that's really good. And uh, as always, you know, we love hearing from our listeners and followers. Yeah, it's great to get the feedback and the interaction as well. Yeah, so uh, that's good. Um, Okay, so I think that's kind of us really, isn't it? Yeah, we've now got John and Emma. What's happening? Um, So we've got Blue Abyss, um, the guys from there. So we've got John Vickers, who's the Chief Executive of Blue Abyss. He is. Uh, He's the main man and um, he's had the the dream. He woke up one morning going... (gasps) I've got this idea. I've got a dream. I've said this to you in times, and I said, "I've, Jim, I've texted you, and I said, you know, I've got an idea. <laughs> it happens." And he woke up exactly the same thing and said, "Blue abyss, let's do this." And he yeah. started getting some people together. Uh, some of them are actually past guests, aren't they? Yep. So Andy Corbett, you know, uh, Tim Peake. Yeah, and he's he's got such a love for Emma. space as well, hasn't he? So he's brought. Yeah. Two things together, space yeah. and water. Yeah, he has. And he, you know, there's obviously a love there that comes through uh, for his experience of underwater and, um, you know, and British technology as mm-hmm. well that he's looking to try and um, build on. And possibly replicate in other areas around the well, world. Well, this is it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's at the planning stage. It's, you know, it's still there and he's, he's, yeah, he's building up support. Got a lot of good names behind him. 
Uh, and Emma's there as a consultant. She's a uh, the top f- uh, free diving instructor, author of uh, One Breath: A Reflection of Free Diving. Yeah, yeah, and she's um, been involved in the Olympics and Paralympics as well, training people. So, yeah, she was yeah. involved in the uh, twenty twelve. Yeah, Olympics, yeah, so and she knows the stuff. Yeah, and she called John Vick as her guru. Yeah, so uh, they're a, a great couple to uh, talk to. Um, a couple of guests and um, you know uh, it was a good chat yeah yeah it's good fun so let's do it yeah right here is John Vickers and Emma Farrell enjoy anyway I wanted to uh, welcome you both um, and thank you for giving us a bit of your time today um, to the big scuba so you've got Gemma Uh, Gemma is um, a baby diver she's been referred to of about 20 dives 21 dives 21 dives yeah and uh, got your open water last year didn't you yes yeah it got a bit disjointed because of lockdown so it started in january and it finished in july and then didn't do any more after that either <laughs> fantastic well done and uh, i've been diving for about five years done about 250 dives and a dive master um and uh, we just we don't go particularly deep but we just have fun and you know this podcast is all about you know fun diving and talking to some really interesting exciting people that's what yeah. we've done and hopefully attracting people to try diving as well or to yeah, yeah. think about the underwater world and what they could yeah, connect to perfect i wholeheartedly support that Gemma. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good because I think, well, I mean, you've it just opens up a diverse world, doesn't it, of yeah, careers and yeah, activities. So it's pretty special. Um, so, John Vickers, I am the chief executive of Blue Abyss. I thought about Blue Abyss some seven and a half years ago now. And then um, I have started other businesses. Uh, so, rather than take the traditional uh, uh, sort of route of starting a business, writing a business plan, I came up with a PowerPoint, went around a few people I knew, got introductions to other people that they knew who I thought might be relevant, ended up speaking to some people at NASA. Uh, and then, as they say, the rest is becoming slightly history. I got introduced to Emma when I was um, in dialogue with a chap called Andy Torbert, who we both know, who's on the TV. You may know him. Yep. He's quite a well-known diver and a former army guy. Uh, and then on. Emma. He's, there you go, right? In for me already. Um, Emma, myself and Andy, very kindly, Emma and Andy helped with a sort of promo video that we did years and years ago, just to try and promote what we were doing. It was more aimed at the scuba community and people were very supportive. But we've grown up and changed quite a lot since then. But Emma's remained faithful and um, supportive ever since. So she needs to explain why that's the case. Come on, Emma. <laughs> Uh, so um, I'm a freediving instructor trainer and I'm the freediving consultant for Blue Abyss. And so about probably six years ago now, um, I remember exactly where I was. I was in the car driving between Bath and Stroud and this guy gets on the phone, says, my name's John. I want to talk to you about this project. And I remember pulling over and having this really long conversation with him and thinking, this sounds amazing. And knowing, I, I mean, I remember talking to John at the time and saying how I'd spoken to two other people who had planned similar things that had never come to anything. 
But when I spoke to John and then I met him, it was clear that he had a completely different approach to the project. He didn't just see it as something really narrow to do with diving. He saw it in terms of robotics and commercial diving and space exploration. And his vision was just very, very wide and, and open. And I got on well with him very, very well. And so I've just been, you know, my small part of Blue Abyss, the project ever since. Yeah, yeah, that's great, isn't it? To have something so, so wide reaching as well. Yeah. I, Gemma, I, I, I mean, I, so I should have said, I'm also a diving instructor. I've been an instructor for goodness knows how long. I've, I haven't really instructed for a number, goodly number of years, um, properly really since the army. And that was back in the, the beginning of the 90s. Crikey, that does age me. But I've been fascinated with water, having grown up, I've been born abroad and grown up being involved with water since I was about 18 months old and this, one of my sisters throw me in a pool and going to the beach with people and just that fascination, it gets under your skin, really. And so when I came to this country, the, the two bits that really appealed to me were space and water. And I watched the Apollo Soyuz link up in 1975 when an Apollo rocket and a Soyuz rocket docked together in space. I had no idea at seven and a half about the politics, but it just fascinated me. And when you compare that, the image of people floating around, they look like they're in water, right? Mm -hmm. And then I, I, not long after watching that, then I got introduced to the whole Jacques Cousteau underwater world sort of programs. And they were just, I mean, they hooked me. Every time they were on, I had to get home from school to watch one of those programmes or, I don't think they really did, re, they were already on reruns, but there's no you know, video recorder to watch them on or no internet to catch them up on. Um, but it, years later, when I thought about Blue Abyss, that link is between the two, water and, and, and space is water. So earth and space is water. And so it is a natural thing. Um, it's just a pity, unlike Emma, who just very kindly sort of got it and bought into the whole idea. I didn't have to convince her. It just resonated. But we're on a planet where we inextricably rely on water. We do an untold amount of damage to our environment every day, not just in water, but as a species. And we yeah. need to, I think we're slowly becoming a bit more aware of the damage we do and the amount of rubbish we throw into 20,000 tonnes or thereabouts every year get dumped in the Mediterranean of just sunscreen. That is just barking. You can't yeah. keep doing that, can you? And, and the fact that we rely so much on the ocean, not just for the water element, because obviously we rely on fresh water, but desalination is a big thing. But, you know, we now know that more than the Amazon and the rainforest, it's, it's you know, seagrass and algae that produce a tremendous amount of the gases that we, oxygen, uh, and, and filter an amount of sort of negative gases out of the environment that we just so reliant on. You wouldn't, you wouldn't typically pour rubbish in your front room, but we yeah. appear to be doing it here. Amazing, yeah. and then it goes on. So how do you turn that initial idea that you had one day and you thought about Blue, uh, Blue Abyss into actual then take the project from a, a small idea into something really big uh, and then getting financial support from that. How, how do you actually go about doing it? Because that's quite quite a major feat. Uh, it is, Ian. <laughs> well, people like Emma supporting you. So they, so yeah. people like Emma give you 
a reason because there's plenty of naysayers. There's plenty of people you can look them up on forums, typically on a forum. People you're never going to meet, right, will always be the first on a, wall, on, a, on a keyboard to give you their opinion. Not that I ask for their opinion, but, but they're happy to give it. And people in without asking. So you've very kindly asked the question. You don't have to like what I say, but what I'm about to tell you is the truth. But there are plenty of others. And it tends to be around the scuba diving industry. I've never seen an industry which is perhaps relatively small in the scheme of things, but which can be so pro and so against in one small community. Mm-hmm. And, and often you get really polarised opinions and opinions are a bit like the proverbial, you know, backside. We've all got one. Uh, and I don't need to see anybody's negative. If you don't like it, I'm cool with that, right? It's it's perfectly acceptable not to be convinced. Yeah. Um, when in this country, we've become quite cynical as you Brits are quite cynical, rightly so, but we seem to have lost that, that exploration, that exploratory edge for saying, we can do this. A bit, forgive the phraseology, ladies a bit ballsy a bit out there a bit dreamy why why has it always got to be elon musk or jeff bezos or somebody else somewhere else why can't it be in this country mm-hmm. i'm not asking to do something like transport uh, uh, an object from one location to another with nothing in between no but we often lack money in this country though don't we and bums on seats I think, Ian, what we do more than lack money and bums on seats is, is we now lack a bit of faith in ourselves. I notice I said you Brits, but I'm then including myself royally. My parents are British, but I'm very happy to tell you I'm Liberian. But um, I think we, we've got the money, but we don't have to spend a lot of it in the wrong areas and in, on, on things and with people. You think, why have we spent it that? We're not asking for government money. We've not asked for government money. If If at a national level, it's appropriate for the government to contribute to this, then we will come up with a mechanism where we repay that money. There are plenty of people always prepared to invest in private projects. What we've always asked for is a bit of faith and support and publicity from the government to say, look, this will deliver this to this country. And in doing so, we might be asking you to do why. What is the why? Well, it might be a guarantee. It might be some money. It might be an undertaking, but we're going to give you back far, far, far more for far longer than you ever give us. Mm. And that's that was the biggest thing, Ian. That was the biggest challenge, getting that level of support, because it grew as an idea. I always thought it would be a big idea, yeah. but it needed, therefore, big lot of support. The cynics but, will tell you, but who is a small person doing a big idea? Well, who are lots of small people doing big ideas? So you started this process, you know, uh, six, seven years ago. Nobody saw COVID coming. Have you found that, um, you know, the support still there, um, you know, since the COVID has arrived? Yeah, personally. I mean, we've been to a number of, so people, the, the, the bit that seems to validate the people who are being negative, so, oh, but they've been around a while. You think, yeah, well, Rome wasn't built in a day either. So yeah. it might take a few days to get this built on China. And secondly, um, I, I just said a second ago, if you've got to build a big, you know, a big facility or a big plan, HS2, look at the amount of cynicism we've got about that. And that's a yeah. sounds like more expensive. And it's got bigger backers. So, it was always going to be a challenge because what we've required was an amount of regional support. So a local authority, that council, the let in a region supporting us. Um, and we hadn't got it until Cornwall. So you're asking uh, Ian about, you know, COVID and stuff. 
it will take as long as it takes as long as the people behind it keep going and yeah. you can achieve anything uh-huh. covid for me i've been used to working from this uh, location for about seven and a bit years seven years um so that didn't change keeping people like emma and, and our other supporters and other people who are involved in the business updated it doesn't really change but you just when things take a long time, you have to keep updating them to prove that you are making traction. But at the same time, as I say, if you're delivering a big thing, if you're trying to deliver a very big thing, personally, it's a, it's a big thing. Yeah. And yeah. you can't suggest that, you know, I always use the example of a pyramid. You can move a, a pyramid half an inch. Nobody, if they blinked, you wouldn't see it move. But it's a big thing you've just moved. Yeah. And that's the yeah. same with this. So COVID, if anything, Ian, brought us to the attention of Cornwall. And, and the publicity that we've had down there suggests that people in this country, down at the you know, general public, are very enamoured with what we're doing because mm. of the benefits. Regionally, as a country, we can still pitch ideas like this and deliver on them. And it just is in, well, it's just got me really excited about delivering upon the premise we started seven years ago. Yeah. Cool. Home of the uh, clotted, cr- clotted cream ice cream. It's just clotted cream. Don't tell it, Emma. Don't, I didn't say that, Emma. Just yeah, well, hopefully it will get people kind of empowered about it as well. So, Emma, we didn't touch on how, how did you get into the underwater world and freedom? Um, I did. I've always loved being in water, but I never did any scuba diving until I was 18. And I think I did, I did probably two, like, try scuba dives when I was teaching in Indonesia. And then... I'd read about free diving and I knew about it, but back then, we're talking more than 20, 25 years ago, it was like you saw the film, The Big Blue, or you heard about Tanya Street, and it was all about free diving. I thought free diving, it really captured my imagination, but I thought, okay, you'd never do that in the UK. And then I just had this very serendipitous meeting. Me and my friend, we were on holiday in the Canary Islands. It was New Year's Eve. We sat down at this restaurant and we had this conversation. What would you do if you had another life? And I said, I'd be a freediver. And she said, what's that? And I said, it's kind of like you hold your breath and you're in water. And then we went out um, after the meal, we went to a bar and we met a British chap and we were chatting to him. And we said, what are you doing out here? He said, I'm a freediver. Right. <laughs> it's fate <laughs> so I, I got him to tell me everything about free diving and he told me about um, the submarine escape training tank the set tank in Gosport which is 30 meters deep and where they used to train submariners in how to escape from submarines and so there was a very small group of free divers who you know maybe once a month would go there on a weekend and rather than going from the bottom up they'd go from the top down And so I didn't tell my family, I didn't tell my friends. This was in 2000. Um, And yes, over 20 years ago now. And I went along, I was absolutely rubbish, but I was completely hooked. And I was just passionate about it. I dreamt about it. I couldn't think of anything else but freediving. And I slowly learned and then I became an instructor. And then at the time, there weren't the agencies that are around now that teach freediving. So I, you kind of learn ad hoc and it wasn't very effective. And so that's what inspired me to want to actually write the education standards, which are now taught worldwide. So I then started beca- becoming involved with that. And essentially I started teaching in 2003 and that has been my business pretty much ever since. Yeah, yeah from saying you're rubbish and then now look at you now, yeah. <laughs> it's just like... So this, is, you know, this is 
is what really inspired me because so many people said, oh, you'll never be able to equalize. You've got a problem with your ears. You'll never be able to free dive. And it's just such nonsense. And I, I wanted to be the person who would say to anyone, look, if I can do it, you can do it. It doesn't matter how, how much you weigh, how old you are, what you think about yourself. Free diving is really for everyone. And, and for me, it's, it's that my passion to share that rather than seeing free diving as this kind of elite thing that only kind of young skinny people do it's it's open to everyone yeah yeah yeah, yeah. what was she, what sorry go on Jen. well no it's just that's really refreshing and how things should be isn't it there's no barriers and we always say that there's no limits no barriers yeah. oh completely i mean last I had one of my most amazing courses. So I've worked with Olympic athletes and I've worked with Paralympic athletes. And last year at the very end, last course of the year in October, we had a guy called Darren Edwards and he is paralyzed from his chest down. And we made a free diving course work for him. And he was absolutely amazing. He had the most incredible attitude. We of course adapted so many things for him, but he was, you know, pulling down to 11 meters, swimming through the fuselage of the plane at Bobster and then coming back up. It was, you know, really free diving is open to anyone. Yeah, it's great. I, I was going to say, sorry uh, to jump in, was, you know, we all start, I know the term free diving has come out, but we all start, anybody that's got an affinity for water starts by holding their breath in the pool and holding onto the bottom of the stairs and seeing how long you, can you outlast your mates? Or swimming under obstacles, people's legs in the pool, or going underwater and, and sort of opening your eyes in the sea and then sort of coming up thinking, crappy, and that's too salty. But we start that way. And then it almost feels like when you go through the snorkeling training, whilst before it, for instance, before Bezac made snorkeling a sort of compulsory and, and real sort of facet of, of their training, it was almost like, a well, we just got to do this bit. But for a lot of people, they don't need to ever do anything more. Mm. Yeah. And if actually you get good at snorkeling, it proves your scuba diving no end. And, and yeah. as Emma will go on to say, I'm hopeful about breath holding and calming yourself has so many other impacts in your life. But if you want to be a better scuba diver, you should look at free diving. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so many people have this, this misconception about freediving that if you do a freediving course, you have to be able to hold your breath for a long time. Completely not true at all. It's not about that. When you teach someone to freedive, essentially you teach them how to breathe properly. You teach them how to breathe properly, how their breathing works and about body awareness. So, and that most people who do a free diving course with me and my company, they don't, they're not interested in holding their breath forever and diving really deep. They're interested in improving their scuba diving, improving their general health, spending more time under the water, taking photos, maybe spearfishing. They're interested in making their time in the water more enjoyable and safer. And, you know, that's what it's all about. And John's absolutely right. The benefits of learning to breathe then go out to every other aspect of your life. Yeah, 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 that's great. We think everybody should be a free diver. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, and I think this is what was so wonderful about BZAC kind of in the old days before, you know, other agencies came along and kind of simplified things. I mean, I remember people telling me within BZAC, you had to be a very accomplished free diver before they let you do any scuba diving. <laughs> and I think that that's, you know, a really wonderful thing because I think lots of scuba divers I've met and talked to seem frightened to trust their own body they want to put all of their faith in their equipment and not trust themselves and they don't it's like they don't have faith in themselves 
Mm. But what I want to show people is that you you can have complete faith in your own abilities. And then when you are on scuba, I, I just think it, it can chill you out so much more because you know that if you do get into trouble, you can just ditch your equipment and be completely fine because you you know that you've done this whilst on breath hold. Yeah. And then so your long term plan will be to teach that blue abyss. I mean, yes. I mean, John and I have long discussions about this, about, you know, what my role will eventually be. But, um, yeah, I'm absolutely passionate about making sure that at Blue Abyss, there is, you know, the best standard of freediving instruction, which is, is world class. Yeah. People look to Blue Abyss and look to how we do freediving at Blue Abyss as the absolute, you know, the gold standard. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it okay. looks like it's going to go all hand in hand because you're going to offer, you know, commercial diving services, uh, submersibles, human life sciences. It's all there, isn't it? You know. Well, let's, let's see in about the commercial. I mean, commercial diving, there are plenty of well-established uh, trainers and stuff now. As, yeah. a, as, a, as a career, unfortunately, to a degree, I think it's on the wane. I think there are, I know plenty of commercial divers. You know, there is still an amount of, of commercial diving. But the future of, of people saying, oh, I'm going to be a commercial diver and I'm going to go and work in the North Sea or the Red Sea or wherever, the Gulf of Mexico, and earn hundreds of thousands of pounds a year, and almost a, quite a glamorous life. I think they didn't realise yeah. the sort of downside of being stuck in a hyperbaric chamber for 14 days at a time. But anyway, those Which days are probably going. Best. Using using commercial divers to accomplish certain things, absolutely. So the, the, the 35 diving staff may come from commercial diving, military diving backgrounds. They have to, NASA's insistence is that you have to be a civilian. So, you know, PADI, BZAC, CMAS, SAA, RAID, instructor and you have to have a minimum of a year's instruction but that for us just feels like a baseline if you've got people with all those other skills who are already free dive, so all of our instructors must also become free diving instructors they will do other bits and pieces besides that to do with training astronauts and that one of the quotes i would give you is that buzz aldrin the second man to walk on the moon said his favorite thing to do on this planet is scuba dive all astronauts train as scuba divers. So there's yeah. a perfect synergy and you can inspire people from holding their breath and going on the water all the way to being explorers on, on the moon or eventually Mars. Yeah, yeah, and I think for youngsters as well to see this whole project evolve, will you know, from like school through to university, you know, there's so many more options, isn't there? And, you know, they yeah. can aspire to be at Blue, Ob Blue Abyss to do a course or... Yeah, Gemma, I would love that to be. I mean, you don't have to go to, a, you know, one here, we're looking in America, we're all in talks in the Middle East and in Japan, for instance. You don't have to go to a blue abyss and think you've got to become an astronaut to count. Mm. You can just be a freediving instructor and have a fabulous, I'd hope. But for every child that walks through the door, it's less about them having to become even a freediver. It's just about them no longer being hampered by what other people tell you you can or cannot achieve. It's what you want to do. And if that unlocks that for that, if they become the best photographer or garden designer or dressmaker or neurosurgeon, then we've achieved something. That's far more important. That's a better legacy. If you can come and free dive and learn to free dive and then become a snorkeler and then become a scuba diver, if that's what you want to do. And if we can help make that safer and more enjoyable and to open to more people, because more people then get an interest in our marine environment, that's that's great. Yeah. But it's more important that we in, in, inspire young people to, to come along. They might be inspired by looking and thinking, wow, those divers, and that's an astronaut. 
but it's less about you doing those things than just unlocking in yourself. I can do something like this. Yeah, it's flipping so, a switch and like in putting the confidence in somebody that they yes. can do that. Mm. Absolutely. Anybody. So John, can you talk us through the, like the basics of the pool? Um, you know what the complex is going to be ar around. So it's going to be on par with the uh, neutral buoyancy lab in Houston, isn't it? It's going to be is on it, that type of spec. It's that type of scale. So their their pool is sixty two. They don't work in in meters, but let's give it in meters. Sixty two meters by thirty two meters. And their pool is one depth, twelve meters. Yeah. Our pool is is for the first little bit is fifty meters long, forty meters wide. And then multiple depth down to a maximum of 50 meters. So to put it in a different way, an Olympic pool has got three and a half thousand cubic meters of water. The pool in Houston, which is called the NBL, the Neutral Buoyancy Laboratory, is 24,000 cubic meters. And the first blue abyss is just under 43,000 cubic meters. So that volume and that depth gives you the ability to have, it's difficult to describe this, but if you imagine a, a rectangle and then you put half a cup of water, half a cup on one end, the shaft, the deep, deepest part, is half in the rectangle and half out. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, it becomes a solid shaft from 25 metres down. But half yeah. that rectangle on one side is at 12 metres. So we can make it shallower because yeah. we can put scaffolding and build a level, but you can't make it deeper again. So the idea of having 12 metres was to mimic NASA's pool in Houston. And yeah. so you can put... Astronauts don't need depth per se. They need an amount of water that if you put an object in the water, then go all the way around it. Yeah. scuba divers are you know and free free uh, breath hold divers free divers are, are um sometimes completely captivated by how deep can i go well in it's on great. air it's going to keep it at 50 meters right because we don't want to fall foul of any legislation neither do we want any accidents but that overall volume means that with the lighting the high-tech lighting and um, in-water cameras and, and other bits and pieces you could be on a night dive in the pool, we can put robotic fish in the pool. You can be doing archaeology courses, cave diving, breath hole diving, mixed gas. There's a whole load of, more importantly, you could be doing some of those things or all of those things at the same time. Mm. Yeah, so it's really multi-dimensional. It? Boom, boom. Yeah. Yes, not just three-dimensional, multi-dimensional, I like that. I mean, because, the, so the building itself, if you've seen the latest that we've put out in the load of the press releases and stuff, the design comes from a guy called Robin Partington, the architect, who did the who did the gherkin in, in London. Okay. And it's it, you can see the shape. The minute I say it, if you look at a horseshoe crab and then look at the design of the building, they're the same. And he right. did it to capture that marine sort of look. But whereas the horseshoe crabs have got that sort of stick-like appendage as a tail, mm. that wouldn't work as a hotel. So he did this sort of V-shaped bit. And when you put the two together, one of the other directors said, that looks like a comet now. Well, the architect was over the moon because he'd done. <laughs> we said, I wanted to do an iconic building. And he said, well, OK, let me give you this iconic shape, a horseshoe crab. But when you put the two together, you also get a comet. So you've got this oh. marine to space looking building. And that just for me, I just thought, yes, People would know what you were looking at, Ian. Yeah. I mean, it's a curved roof, so it curves in both directions, front and back, left to right. The side of the building is at eight metres, the middle is at 20 metres. And we're in discussions with Cornwall Council about, because the planning limit on that particular site is 15 metres, plus three metres for antennas. So we're in discussion, and it's, it's, it's an appropriate thing we're doing as a feasible thing. You can um, look to change the conditions for a particular building. So we're doing that, we're going through that process. But the side of the building having an eight metre roof 
means that on the top you haven't got to have ductwork for air conditioning or heating. They come in a form of gills in the side of the building. Uh-huh. Um, and the side of the building's got training rooms, a cafe, shop, um, staff offices, and then more of those facilities and of course accommodation uh, catered for in the hotel with a cafe. Oh, wow. The cafes are always important for me. Thanks, Emma. <laughs> Uh, so what response have you had from the local uh, people where the site is situated? Has it been positive? Very positive. I've not had, I had one person I noticed on one post somewhere said, we shouldn't be necessarily funding things like this. We should be putting more money into the NHS. Now that I'd be the first to tell you that the NHS, absolutely, every penny we put into it, I'm sure gets wisely spent, right? But mm. I think besides the NHS, I think people recognise that, you know, it does a fantastic job, but we also, as a country, put a tremendous amount of money already into it. If you didn't do anything other than the NHS, after a while, I think we'd all be sort of, can we have a job at the NHS? <laughs> because I mean, nothing else going on. Um, so doing something like this in Cornwall, just genuinely, I feel sometimes like an outsider. I come from a foreign country. I came here when I was seven. Um, Cornwall, it's not a foreign country, but I think they rightly see themselves as having been at the tail end of lots of initiative well the uk is getting rich the southeast is getting rich you know people are moving around various cities and stuff but when you come to cornwall a lot of that sort of um leveling up as the government had, had passed them by everybody's happy to go to cornwall on holiday but yeah i wouldn't really work there covid back to ian's earlier point i think has changed people's emphasis more people are looking to sort of potentially live and work in cornwall the trouble is that an awful lot of people from wealthier parts, typically the southeast, are moving down to Cornwall and, and buying up houses, often without even going to visit them in. I spoke mm-hmm. to a state agent and they'll just buy a house like that within minutes of it going online. So local people have not had an opportunity, first of all, to get other than perhaps during the summer tourism and all year round fishing and agriculture. There aren't thousands of em- major employers in Cornwall. There's the military, Coldrose and... and, and um, St Morgan at, at, at Newquay Airport. Obviously, the airport became a bit uh, of an employer. There are fantastic initiatives and fantastic businesses that I've come across, but nevertheless, it almost feels like you want, dare I say it, an inspirational look. We're going to Cornwall because it's got the right attitude, the right people, the right caliber, the right environment, and let's get everybody else thinking we need to base our business because yeah. then local people don't have to qualify and come out of the county they can stay there so it's been very positive in and and i'm thrilled i genuinely love there are parts of it that are further away from each other than i had imagined it's not that big a county but it feels like they're miles apart that's because they're right falmouth to bude that's a long way right and they're not the necessary motorway so you have to get used to it you have to plan but if we could encourage more people to live there and who are local and bring more wealth to it then more of this leveling up around the country could happen the places like Cornwall and the Southwest, which historically have not had. And that for yeah. me would be another benefit. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. And for the rest of the world to see as well. Yeah, Gemma, why can't why can't we do something fantastic in the UK? Mm. And why does it have to always be in London or Oxford or Cambridge? Why can't it be in other places? And this is a perfect business to place, and it's being placed next to an airport, so we get that connectivity. It's also doing stuff with space. So there's a direct link with the parabolic flight centrifuge. And as I say, all astronauts learn to be scuba diving. It's very close to the sea. We can support um, Cornwall's floating wind, offshore wind ambitions. 
there's the geothermal projects in Cornwall, there's the Eden project. There's so many synergies. And, and I had, because I was down there for the last couple of weeks, um, some local food, met local people. Food is a big topic for me, but met loads of fantastic people. But some of the food I had in the last two weeks was, would knock everybody else into a cocked hat. It was superb. And they should rightly be proud of their region. I'm not trying to turn it into a metropolis with let's pave everything. But I am saying that local people can aspire to say, I don't have to join Blue Abyss, but because there is a Blue Abyss, these other businesses that come, I can join them or I can start a business to support. I can become a free diver and work with Emma. That's that, oh, that really drives the passion because it's a region that wants, it's hungry. And what we want is a hungry region so that together we can achieve it. Then I think we can overcome some of the cynicism we faced. Mm. We keep facing yeah. in this country. We don't believe in ourselves enough. Yeah, I can understand that. I think um, as well, though, do you, I think, you know, the diving world is quite a small, uh, close community. And, uh, you know, I hope that they all start rallying around you. And because I think the, the offshot of that hopefully would be um, is that we see an increasing numbers of people going, hey, let's, I want to learn to dive. I want to learn to free dive and, that, you know, all that sort of stuff. So we should be really great, you know, if that helps encourage people to get into the water or, you know, get back into the water. Because, you know, if we aren't travelling abroad to go on liverboards and so on, we are going to be more focused on what's actually on our doorstep. And uh, down there on the south coast, they get some great uh, visibility down there all year round. It's a great place to go diving um, on that south coast and around there. There. It, I could I could get on the bandwagon and, and not let Emma speak again because I take it to the next level in terms of that Falmouth. You get pictures and, and aerial shots, for instance, of that um, the southern part of Cornwall, I that Falmouth, more slightly more sheltered. You know, if you look at Newquay and the northern coast mm. where the surfers are, there are days you probably wouldn't want to go scuba diving. Right, you'd have to be you'd have to be pretty brave to go diving near the cliffs on some of those rough days. The surfers love it, but the scuba dives a bit, maybe not today, thanks. <laughs> but that southern coast and the, the lizard end, the clarity, the water, as you say, and diving in this country can be every bit as good as anywhere else in the world. I accept it's not always warm. I know that. And I'm a, I love being warm. But you go up to the Orkney Islands, you go up to the west coast of Scotland, you go around to, well, even in East Anglia, and then that's not the, the clearest vision in the no. world, right? But you can have no. a fantastic dive in this country. We just need to prepare people. And if we make it that they're prepared, and I don't know what else we can do. It, it is always going to be a bit of a challenge in this country. You can't just strip off and lay on the on the boat and sort of chug along and, you know, it's 40 degrees heat and you're <laughs> going to get a suntan. I know that. But, you, but horses for courses. Some of the clarity, I've been down off the Eddystone Lighthouse at sort of 20 metres, and shafts of sunlight and dogfish and the kelp and it's just stunning mm. there are local artists making a fantastic job of replicating that and, and producing pictures and i think that um we just we miss out a trick when we don't when we immediately think that diving has to take place aboard as emma will tell you right i am a big chicken for going in cold water but you know emma goes year round to bobstar that that she should get a bravery award <laughs> I don't, I, uh, John, I wish I did go year round. No, I'm a complete wuss. But I think John's absolutely right. And I think it's also really important to note that particularly in the UK, the, the kind of average age of a diver just keeps going up and up and up and up. And it's no longer seen as something cool and exciting. And so it is a project like Blue Abyss is critical for yeah. inspiring young people to get into diving and to get into free diving because otherwise, 
it's just <laughs> there's going to be no more divers left in the UK because they're all old and dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I said I said at the beginning, and Emma and I talked about this. If now that it's in Cornwall, I'm very just so happy about that. But if we can get local schools, and when you say local, if you said local in London, right, you can just draw a, a circle, and you know you'd get probably mm. thousands of schools in Cornwall. You have to draw quite a big school. Uh, uh, circle because they can be quite spread out but if we can encourage local schools to book you know evenings or weekends that they want to bring children along they can come and all learn to as long as it's not a swimming pool they're not and i'm not trying to make that an issue but we're not there to sort of teach children to swim i think there are better more established places that could do that far better than we ever would but just for children that are inclined to come along, where they come on a school, when we all went to the zoo, didn't we, as kids, we all went, or we went to the Imperial War Museum. Well, let's go to a Blue Abyss and see people putting robots or robotic fish into a pool or astronauts keeping up. And for those children that want to come back and with Emma or with one of the team, learn to free dive, just so the next time they go to the beach or a lake with their mum and dad, their mum and dad will go, we'll be kept just watch and they're like little fish and off they go then the mum and dad don't need to worry they don't really need to keep saying no they can start saying just let them go they're fine they'll be fine and actually if that turns as ian said if that turns into more young people who persuade their mum and dad that they should come down and then we also have a thing for locals so local school children can come and learn to scuba dive with us and and not just you know that's going to cost tens and hundreds of pounds typically but we can make that so cost effective that you will check for the children that want to we can make it an absolutely appealing and um, affordable hobby sport that for me would be that then you can get as emma says you can get lots of young get a different vibe with young people it becomes cool yeah. And other people want to, oh, I'm a bit old, but no, I, I need to be young. I'll, I'll do what they're doing. I'm going to go and do this scuba dive. Because in this country, it's sad, isn't it? As an island, we've got a, a declining scuba diving population. That's yeah. mad. It's, and talking to diving manufacturers, you know, people like Fourth Element, they're such young-minded staff, and they know that the industry is struggling. And you think, what can you do to kind of buoy it up and make it you know trendy to be a scuba diver or free diver and you know and something like this blue abyss is you know a good gateway into that isn't it yeah i yeah. think so i would just sorry emma i just emma said you know you don't have to be young and slim so that she was talking about me then right but i think that if you can get young children fitness sitting in front of a games console all the time has not been great for me right sitting for a year and a half in front of a screen on zoom calls has not been kind and my age doesn't help but anyway so getting a bit fit and taking pride in that and and knowing that to do so you have to be a bit more dedicated in diving even free diving if you take care of your body and mental well-being you'll just be better and enjoy it more and if that transcends up the ladder up towards you know scuba diving and technical diving fantastic but it gets young people why do we have to have so many surf dive? no offense to the surfing community they've done a fantastic job but this isn't california or australia but you've still got a sort of a population of, oh yeah i must have a surf well, let's get diving t-shirts let's get ocean t-shirts let's get free diving t-shirts where people really love and embrace and we make something of it yeah yeah, yeah and i guess some people are put off because they think it's expensive so it's unattainable but you know there is all different ways to get into it even you know just snorkeling that's not going to be expensive is it no and once you've set yourself up with free with the proper free diving equipment i mean i've got the very first pair of fins they're still in our higher stock and they're over 20 years old 
and every course I'm putting students in them. So the equipment, if you look after it, will really last a lifetime. I mean, most things, obviously wetsuits, maybe not so much. But if you look after your gear, it doesn't cost much for freediving as an initial outlay. There's no servicing. There's no ongoing repairs. There's no anything. You don't have to fill any of it with air yeah. and it will just keep going. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I suppose the most expensive uh, part of freediving is the fins. No, not necessarily right. at all. You can get a really, really good pair of um, kind of kind of beginner intermediate fins for about probably 60, 70 quid. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, generally speaking, a freediving snorkel is going to cost you 10 to 15 quid. A mask yeah. will cost you 25 to 50 quid. Um, you know, to set yourself up in freediving equipment does not cost that much at all. No. And I suppose if the way if you get yourself a wetsuit, um, what what sort of meal wetsuit would you say? Three in, mil? No, well, it totally depends where you are. And if um, you're like me, I don't really like the cold. So in the UK in the summer, we all of our students are in five mil we're in five mil um when it's cold i would put myself in a seven mil but most people are fine in a five i know plenty of people in the uk in the summer who go down to a three bear in mind freediving is slightly different to scuba because you spend a lot of time chilling out doing nothing at the surface which can obviously yeah. make you colder and you when you are diving deeper obviously you're dealing with the thermoclines which are also colder but generally speaking if you're just diving in the summer a five mil is fine but then there's also the point that freediving wetsuits are generally speaking much much higher quality than scuba and you can be in a seven mil scuba wetsuit and be cold and you can be in a five mil freediving suit and be super toasty just because of the quality yeah, yeah. Hmm, okay i didn't know that yeah when yeah. you whenever says 60 pound for a pair of fins when i was diving regularly you know 25 quid would have been four what <laughs> emma we've got to talk about these prices again but if we can do anything as Blue Abyss, you know, provide stock or, or incentivize manufacturers to look at deals for children and young people, people, not just mm. young people. I'd say young people as if there should be anybody that manufacturers maybe can be incentivized and, and young people, people again, can be incentivized to sort of not because we want people to get debt. Oh, we don't want people. But it can be an expensive sport and hobby if you have. Uh, you know, a two or three different wetsuits. If you have a good couple of masks or a good couple of fins, freediving can be a few hundred pounds worth of cost because you typically, typically in this country, even though we're in Ireland, you have to travel to get to a site, right? But um, if we can work with manufacturers, I'm sure there is must be a way that we can look at bulk purchases. We can look at clubs who bulk buy. We can do some sort of incentive deal for people to after X number of dives, for instance, they get given X number of points. There must be a way of getting the threshold down into it. I'm not after us buying the cheapest by any means. We're looking for the very best. Mm. But it can be a barrier. When you go to scuba diving, as you both know, computer, mask, snorkel, dry suit, wetsuit, fins, yeah. weight belt, uh, you know, buoyancy, comp the whole nine yard, wings, cylinders, regulate. Jeez, you never stop. You can be thousands of pounds into it. And that, of course, is a... A, a barrier for most people and if you're talking about young people it becomes an almost oh i'd love to do it but how do the, we do that how do we overcome it that is the beauty of freediving though isn't it? where you don't need all that kit yeah and also um so much freediving equipment can be used for scuba the suits can be used for scuba the mask can be used for scuba the snorkels can be used even the fins the amount of time i've been on trips in the red sea and we've seen scuba divers and they've been led by their dive guide and the dive guide i'm like okay long freediving fins. Yes. Really? 
diving white belt. Oh, you're a freediving mask. And I'm there like some complete freediving geek going, okay, he's got that mask and that weight belt and those fins. And, and I'm basically cataloging the fact that he's just happens to have a tank on his back, but essentially he's wearing freediving equipment. So let me ask you, um, I go diving in my uh, O3 dry suit. I've got my usual kit on and I go slip on my free diving meet along fins. Wouldn't I look a bit odd? <laughs> Who cares? If it works, I would say do whatever. Has anyone works. tried? Sorry? Has anyone tried? Um, with a dry suit, that's a really interesting question. I've never seen anyone in a dry suit with... Actually, we had we had one freediving student many years ago who was going to photograph pilot whales and she didn't want it. She was so worried about getting cold that she wanted to. And this is so nuts. She wanted to free dive in a dry suit. So I don't know how she got on, because obviously that's if you imagine air inside your dry suit. suddenly. Yeah. But she attempted to free dive in a dry suit. So freediving equipment, but a dry suit on so she could photograph these whales yeah that's gonna be odd because could you actually i presume you could use a, a semi-dry suit the free dry yeah yeah absolutely and this is what we say when people come and do our courses we say look if you've got your own suit and you know it fits you you like it you're going to be warm enough you rock up with that but often we get people mainly surfers who go yeah, yeah i surf all year in my suit and i'm like yeah but you're moving a lot you're on top of your board and yeah. they come in these surfing suits and i and, and they're often guys with not very much body fat and i'm going oh my god you are going to freeze sure enough within about five minutes they're blue and doing this so we then go and put them in a free diving suit and they're like oh my god this is amazing because they're it's a completely different thing yeah. Look how you just generalize all the surfers <laughs> not, <laughs> not they didn't have much body fat we're not surfers, Ian. Me and you, we'll just put ourselves out the surfing. Cuba divers aren't quite like that. No. We've got our own inbuilt warmth, I think. John, it's, it's called bioprene. That's what it is. Ah, That's the word. That's the word. Uh, so what sorts of temperature, can you change the temperature in Blue Abyss or will you be able to, to kind of reflect different situations? That's a very good question. So the idea is that we're not going to necessarily, what we would think of in this most people for an indoor pool heat the water because a if you have a pool so 40 as near as makes no difference forty three thousand tons of water any energy you put into it eventually becomes like a storage tank so it retains that heat for a fair amount of time without you having to do much else so people would say so why don't you heat it up then and just let it you know slowly cool down that's mm. an awful lot of energy to put in and for every you know if you're at 30 degrees from like water temperature you must keep the air above it at least 31 if not 32 degrees otherwise you get lots of evaporation starting to happen and if you know from a diving physiology point of view Gemma um, you know, working in hot, humid conditions. And then if you go diving, that potentially changes the way you absorb gases. Mm -hmm. And the last thing you want is somebody doing any work in the pool who's already hot, it's hot water. And because they're gonna be in for a long time, they might have got a semi-dry or a dry suit on. They don't have to, obviously, if it's very warm water, but that warm water can be as much of a challenge, believe it or not, it's cold water. Whereas having just ground source heat water um, which comes out of the ground at between 19 and 23 degrees in Cornwall. It can, can actually be warmer than that, much warmer than that, up to sort of 80 degrees, believe it or not. But we're aiming for 19 to 23 degrees. Everybody that goes in the pool, the robots don't care. 
and everybody, whether they're a free diver, scuba diver, astronaut, working diver, they're all in a suit of some description. They're not going to feel it, so they don't care either. Mm. Yeah, well, that's from my perspective, I've always wanted, from a safety perspective, it is far safer to be wearing a suit because you can more accurately control your buoyancy. And so again, back to the kind of typical surfer dude that we've had on our courses with no body fat, they just sink like stones. And so we need to put a wetsuit to compensate for the fact that they are, as I like to call them, so very dense. And so with Blue Abyss, if you have the water between, you know, 19 and whatever degrees, it forces people to wear a suit and then we can adjust the weighting that they're wearing. And that's going to make them mutually buoyant at a really safe depth rather than just being too heavy. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing we talked about, Gemma, is being able to change between saline, salt water, and fresh water, chlorinated water. But that's not an overnight thing. And that typically wouldn't be that we wouldn't necessarily do that for the diving community. I mean, 43,000 tons of water to filter is an awful lot. Mm. I mean, even if you're talking about Olympic pools worth of water an hour, an hour, that's a fair amount of water. And so we're only necessarily, if, if we're going to change between chlorinated, normal, and saline, probably for an industrial client for weeks at a time. Yeah. And that would have to be a very specific reason because they can't, for instance, adjust the buoyancy themselves on the device they're testing. Mm. Then, then we'll do it. The lighting is something else that we can adjust. So it's not just the temperature. It's, you know, I suspect if you're, in a, if you're in a dark pool, you would feel colder. Uh -huh. you, you can psychologically make somebody feel cold quite quickly. Yeah. If you're in a brightly lit environment and everybody else is walking around on on the top with t-shirts and stuff, and you're being asked to wear, I mean, you can get away with a fairly thin suit if you're not gonna do it for very long. So mm. children perhaps haven't got to wear a bulky semi-dry five mil suit if they can get away with the rash suit just because they're doing some basic snorkeling for 20 minutes. You know, there's a whole balance thing about what we're trying to achieve with whom at what point. The other thing that we're using, this is completely different, but robotic fish. I mean, yeah, putting robot fish in the pool to distract you that for me is just that that would be a game changer. Awesome. John, did you see um, my friend Mermaid Linden with the robotic dolphin? No. What, what the, one of the ones that dive out the water and you drive inside? Is one of those? She, you know, it's, I mean, it's really incredible. She did some filming with it a couple of weeks ago. So she just posted it up um, in LA because that's where she lives with a dolphin. You cannot tell the difference. It's unreal so yeah i'll send you the video afterwards um it's just amazing so i immediately thought well that's going to be in blue abyss this is size <laughs> dolphin i mean all the british divers who don't get to see any sort of oh, any fish and then you put them in a the pool and i saw all the fish that for me i i've got to say that essex university there's a clip of film i think you could just google essex university robotic fish just the way that i mean you can tell now that it's going to be a robotic fish right but it's got a little camera in it but just the way the thing moves. If you put a shoal of those in and you're doing a competition for university students about building some yeah. sort of underwater surveying tool and you made it look like a fish and you had a shoal of them, I mean, how distracting would that be for somebody that's, I'm a bit nervous about going underwater, or oh, hold on, they're a fish. Yeah. So then you just, hold on a minute. I might be wrong uh, about this, and often am. Uh, Southampton University, I believe, were involved in uh, looking at propulsion systems a while back, uh, underwater propulsion systems. They were looking at like uh, octopus and things like that. Um, they, they'd be an interesting party to, uh, you know, 
use your lab, I suppose, you know? Ian, absolutely. We've got a relationship with Southampton, with Exeter, with Plymouth, with Falmouth University, just to take that sort of south and southwest cluster. Absolutely. I would welcome, I mean, some of them, Southampton have got access and, and Plymouth to some of their own smaller pools. Mm. But I think when it comes to showcasing mm. or demonstrating, then a big pool perhaps if it's an industrial application, having a very big pool means you can put lots of bits of different kit in, lots of different commercial divers, some military people, some ROVs, some other equipment, i.e. it becomes a bit of a showcase event. But yeah. testing it, yeah, I would love, imagine just children or people being in a pool and a robotic type or a new style of octopus, you know, that squirts on by, or fish. Just the distraction. How must that make children feel? Young people, I keep saying it as if they're the only audience. But mm. if you're going to convince younger people to get excited. They come out and go, Mum and Dad, I've got to get into this sport. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sadly, we are nearly out of time. And, um, you know, for people who are listening to this and they're thinking, Blue Abyss, you know, what is this? Um, what is next? What's, what's next on the timeline for, for the project? So and we've got to submit our planning application. As I said, we're working through with the council, with our advisors about the height line and some other bits and pieces. But the planning application will go in in the next couple of months. Ideally, if I said that now out loud, I have to say it, say 12 weeks, because we've got to give the project director and project team time. Planning goes in, all things being equal. Uh, and the council have been exceptionally supportive. If we've addressed their issues and concerns and the um, statutory bits accurately, and we should get planning before Christmas and we'll start building before Christmas. And then we tend to open Q2 2023. In the meantime, it's about what other elements of the business we can bring forward and start to do some online and with people like Emma, you know, courses, even if it's just telling people what we're going to be able to do, but encourage people to go and, and hook up with Emma now and start doing free diving now. And then there'll be the other centres. So the US is, is next and then the Middle East or Japan will follow up thereafter. Maybe a kind of a replication of what we've got here in the UK. Yeah, there's some some subtle differences, uh, Gemma, not necessarily in terms of size, but other features and facilities. Yeah. But yeah, pretty much the same markets exist globally in those locations. Uh, and so they're a mimic pretty much of each other. Yeah. What's next for you, Emma? You know, are you involved in the Olympics at all? Um, I'm not involved. I was working with the the last athletes I've been working with are Paralympic swimmers um, yeah. and they are not involved in this current cycle. And so I'm at the moment just concentrating on teaching freediving, obviously working with John and my other freediving projects. So that's what I'm focused on at the moment. So for people who want to follow you and know more about your courses that you offer, where are they best to go to to follow you? Um, the best place is just go freediving.co.uk. Okay, yeah, nice and easy. Yeah, we'll put the links in the podcast notes and then people can click Thank on you. those. And... Yeah, and um, John, what about yourself? You know, you know, for people who want to give you some support and got ideas who want or future want to get involved, where are they best to go to? They just go to the website in blueabyss.uk, just.uk, blueabyss, one word, dot uk. And, and there's plenty of links, there'll be new articles and stuff. So one of the things that we've, we've had to do is just be rational during the last 18 months, but now we've got this impetus and energy and investment, there'll be a lot more stuff coming forward on it. Yeah, brilliant. Well, you know, do keep us informed and keep us up to date with what's going on. Um, you know, if you ever want us to share anything, uh, you, know, you know, get, you know, let us know. Uh, that, you know, it's an exciting project and it'd be great. You've, 
raises a really good point about, I think, British culture, uh, where, you know, we've kind of declined a little bit with having innovative ideas. Now we've got another one. That's great. And we should be all, you know, getting behind it to support it and see it happen. Brilliant. For, you know, it's a brilliant all-rounder for not just the diving world, mm. but for everybody, you know, especially the local community, because it's going to mean jobs, more money, investment in the, in the area. So it's win-win. Thank you. I, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah, and a great website. You know, I've had a look at the website and, you know, to inspire people to think, hmm, maybe I might try that. And it's a, yeah. yeah, and the more you it on our social media, you know, that's another way to get it out to the audience Audience we've got. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much indeed, everybody. Thanks, Emma, for, for being here today. She puts up with me no end. So I've got... We have got a couple of quick questions. We just need to uh, very quickly ask you. Uh, I will ask you both. First of John, um, actually, no, sorry, I'm going to go to Emma. Emma, if you could put something on a billboard what would, and you could put a message out there to anybody, what would you put on it? Um, I would put something utterly politically incorrect and inappropriate. So I don't think I would be, it would be wise for me to answer that question. Oh, come on. No, absolutely. Well, 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 was... let you think about that. You can't, you got our answers to that one. And John, very quickly, if you could take three people into your blue abyss for the first time, who are you going to take? That is a phenomenal question. They don't yeah, have to be you... alive. They can be people of the past. Wow. <laughs> you know, I'd take a political figure, maybe somebody from ancient Greece. Archimedes? We're all familiar with Archimedes' principle. We have had that one before. You have, or you haven't? haven't. We haven't, no. Oh, right, okay, I'll take him. We're going to find out how he, you know, felt in the bath when he went Eureka. Um, who else would say, that's such a good question. Nobody's ever asked me. I'm a bit like Emma. I was going to say for Emma, I would put on the board, I say to my children, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. Mm. Right. And if you think about it, anyway. So who else would I, I mean, Ian, you could ask me. I would, I would, do you know who would love to do a dive with? I bet lots of astronauts, but I'd love to do a dive with Buzz Aldrin's around. But I'd love to do a dive with Neil Armstrong. Mm. He was yeah. just something else. And, and immediately, effectively, immediately after, a year after he, he you know, walked on the surface of the moon, a year or two years after, he, he gave up NASA and went to become a, a university professor. And here you are as a student thinking, I was the first person to walk on the moon. I mean, how did you put that into? I would love to just have. I mean, I'd, we'd have to have radio comms because I'd be forever asking him questions. And then, um, whether it's Tim Peake or Helen Sharman, or I, I know I'm very fortunate. I've met a lot of astronauts. I tell you, I tell you who I would let me. I, I would have to go with Jacques Cousteau. I'd have to go for a dive with with him. Yeah. Because the way he would, if I could listen to him describing what we were seeing, that would just be wow. He yeah. was the guy that got me into that whole sort of captivated by the underwater world. So those three people, there you go. Yeah. Excellent answers. Yeah. 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 So any huh? billboard? Okay. <laughs> no, you, you will never get what I would really <laughs> put on a billboard. Um, but I think it would have to be something, uh, basically what John said, it's about just just try, have faith in yourself. It's that kind of thing. The idea that the limitations we imagine we have are usually self-imposed. We have put these limitations in and they don't exist. So it's just to be able to think what your life would be if you truly were limitless. And, and essentially most of us are. 
Yeah. Yeah. So no, I would no. say, oh, sorry, Gemma, I would say that what Emma's trying to say is if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Yeah. 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 There we go. John, John is essentially my guru. He's the man at the top of a mountain in a cave <laughs> with a feet trapped. Sitting cross legged, floating. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's an image we're never going to get out of our heads now. Thanks very much, everybody. Thanks, Ian. There you go. Ian's done it in, yeah. Well, Thank seriously, we indeed, really Ian. wish you well. You know, yeah. We really Thank you. want to see this um, happen. So, uh, that, you know, it'd be great. So, we'll be keeping an eye on, on the news and uh, wishing you all the best with that. It'd be brilliant. Yeah. And it's great to have your enthusiasm and positivity about everything, yeah, the way ahead. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's inspirational for you know, and hopefully it will be for our listeners as well to get some feedback from them and get them kind of looking at the project. So. Thank you very much indeed. We really appreciate it. I appreciate Emma supporting me on today's podcast. Thank you, Gemma. Thank you, Ian. And yeah. we look forward to welcoming you to Blue Abyss. We can both come oh, on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, that'd be good. We'd like yeah. that. Definitely on the list. But we'll keep in touch, you know, as the Stop. time goes on. And yeah, you're always welcome back on or, you know, just drop us a line if there's anything yeah. you'd like us to share about the project. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, everybody. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you. So welcome back, everybody. I uh, hope you liked that one. Uh, that was really good. And it was really good to talk to John and uh, Emma. Uh, so thank you to those two for you know, giving us some of their time. Yeah, and we'll look to see how the project progresses. Yeah, so go to their website and uh, get behind the project. That'd be really great. Uh, Know, and um, one for the future. Yeah, definitely. So that's blueabyss.uk. Yeah. So uh, do that, go there. So uh, so that was that. So who've we got next? We've got uh, a professor. I think our our first professor <laughs> on the big scuba. Professor Bob Stone. And obviously he'll be in great company. <laughs> our learned people. Yes. So we've got Professor Bob Stone who contacted us via the LinkedIn page. And, because of uh, Blue Abyss. Yeah, he is involved um, with the project, Blue Abyss, and um, he wanted to let us know that he's, um, he's also involved in some interesting and fun stuff. Mm. He is a professor of, um, I've got to pronounce this right, Emeritus Professor, My which dear. is the Extended Realities and Human Factors, part of the University of Birmingham, and Blue Abyss Human Factors and Stimulation Consultant. So he is a simulation. He is a what? Not stimulation, simulation. Oh, it's <laughs> my glasses. So ignore that. Let's read that again. He is a Blue Abyss Human Factors and Simulation So Actually, what he does, I know, I know what he does, and this is why he's on next week, is that he does a lot of stuff with underwater drones and virtual reality. Yes, and submarines. And Which things. is quite cool. It's all future tech stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so that's why. <laughs> and we're looking forward to seeing and talking to Professor Bob Stone tonight. I think it'll be interesting. It certainly <laughs> will be. You know, I'm not sure what he'll make of us two. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're up on that level. <laughs> yeah. That would be great. And if anyone's going to find out about it, we'll get to the bottom of it. That'll be us. It'll be an interesting, entertaining yes. chat. It will be. So uh, look out for that. Yep. So that's out on, well, that'll be out a week on Monday. It certainly will be. So once again, thank you very much for downloading this episode. Uh, if you haven't listened to our previous ones, go back, back in time. There's a whole back 
catalog to listen catalog, to. That catalog of uh, other episodes when we spoke to all sorts of people, explorers, astronauts, divers, tech divers, and explorers, adventurers, free divers, yeah. you name it. They're all and people of the diving industry. They're all there. Yeah. Um, if you do uh, get a chance, please uh, leave us a review. Tell your friends about us. It helps support the show. It helps us build. Um, you know, and it helps us uh, bring fun people like you know we've just spoke to you who know, got interesting yeah. projects and Professor Bob Stone onto the podcast. Yeah, and then keep an eye on our social media platforms: Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And yeah, uh, keep up to date with our posts and our yeah. stories. So goodbye to our friends over in Ireland, Borneo. Welcome, um, but goodbye for now. And also uh, look out for posts this week. Yeah. So thanks for downloading and have a good week. That's it. See you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We are not affiliated with any agency or organisation and all opinions expressed in this episode are our own and those of our guests. If you wish to make any comments about this episode, then please do contact us via email or our social media platforms that are listed in the episode show notes. Alternatively, you can send us a message or voice message via WhatsApp on the Big Scuba Bat Phone. And the number is plus four four seven eight one zero 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 five nine two four. We will always respond promptly. And thank you once again for downloading this episode.